What's going on, guys? Your host with the most, George McKay, I'm in the building. I am super excited. As a wrestling, longtime wrestling fan, I'm kind of marking out a little bit right now. I'm in a moment because I am here with uh, WWE legend uh, Santino Morella, aka Anthony Corelli. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out today. Well, thank you for coming down. No problem. We're actually here. We're live in uh, your in Battle Arts Academy, your uh, school. And you, you teach a little bit of everything, right? Kickboxing, judo, I, wrestling. Uh, I, I personally coach the judo and the pro wrestling. But here we do have we have Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right now we have freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestling taking part on the mat, um, <clears throat> taking place on the mat. I mean, um, and then tonight we're going to have a boxing class afterwards and uh, an adult PJJ class. So we do a lot. You know, I basically built my dream facility, the things I would like to see if uh, I was a young kid walking into the gym, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of this stuff, like we've been here a few times uh, for Destiny events. We're very in with George and Destiny Wrestling. Oh, so actually then you can see how, how the gym transforms. Oh yeah, everything transforms. It's it's crazy coming in here when the transformation is just taking place. So sometimes when we're here five, ten minutes before the show and we see the whole thing. And the, the, the arena you have, how intimate the venue is, it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. There's a, You can do a lot with uh, pipe and drape and curtains and rolling up the mats. And uh, you come in here and if you've, if you've never been here... Uh, while it's a gym, you would never imagine that it would look like this as a gym. It looks so different. Yeah, you really have the you really have a very it's very spacious, but it's also got everything you need in the one spot. Yeah, and, and everything has a dual purpose. You know, it's uh, it took me, gosh, I don't know, months to kind of design every square foot to to make sure everything's completely functional and uh, it transforms. So I guess my first question is, is the one question that you always want to ask everybody, whether you're a fan or you're in the business, because 95% of the people who are in the business or have been in the business are fans. <clears throat> yeah, everybody has that. Everybody has that defining moment where they fell in love with wrestling for the first time. Yeah, people that wrestle are the biggest fans possible because they love it so much that they actually did it and, and did whatever it took to become what they dreamed of. So there were... Um, I'm probably not one of the biggest fans uh, in the locker room. I like I love wrestling. I love professional wrestling, but um, th th there's a lot of guys that just loved it a lot more in, in terms of the history and being a walking encyclopedia. I couldn't tell you where I know where, we just had WrestleMania 35. You know, before I was there in terms of being participating in WrestleManias, I couldn't tell you what city. 17 was in or 22 was in or whatever. So I'm not, I'm not, maybe it's just my memory type. I don't know, but I'm not, I'm not a, um, what's the word? Uh, you're not a, you're not a, an aficionado. If aficionado. You yeah. But do you have, do you have that defining moment where you yourself fell in love with wrestling and realized, you know, this, this is kind of going to be something I'm going to do in my life. Well, I mean, as a kid, I was hooked with, you know, Hulk Hogan beating the Iron Sheik. And we watched that kind of, you know, live on TV and everything. And, um, but it was something that as far as I was concerned at that age was unattainable. How do you become a professional wrestler? You have to be a giant and I'm, you know, I wasn't a giant. So it just didn't seem like it was even a possibility. So you kind of, you put a natural limiter on your dreams, you know, you put that glass ceiling in place. To yeah. Kind of not. So when did you, when did you start walking the path towards, uh, getting into wrestling? Yeah. So when I was in university, uh, one of the guys on my university wrestling team, one of my friend, one of my best friends to this day, his dad was in the WWF in the eighties. His dad was Don Koloff and his dad, um, wrestled for Calgary Stampede. And then when Vince kind of acquired Calgary, he, he wrestled for him a little bit in the WWF in the eighties and stuff. And I found out not only was, was he, uh, a wrestler, he had a school and it was in, uh, Woodbridge at the time. And then we moved to Markham. So kind of delayed. There was a whole thing there where, you know, they were renting a unit and the owner of the unit, of the building sold it. And the new owner didn't uh, want a, a gym. So we had to kind of scramble. It took a couple of years to find the right building. But that delayed my training. So I started training at 28. Okay. And I was already like, you know, there's guys that have over 10 years experience at that age. And I was still, I was just green. My first match at 20, singles match, I should say, at 29. <clears throat> I did a battle royal on the on the day that Owen Hart passed away in May of '99, I believe. Yeah, sad day, very sad day. So that was kind of like my, but that was my first match, and you know, when I on the drive home, I heard that he passed, and I'm like, I, I kind of thought it was somewhat symbolic in the sense that, you know, that's a, a former uh, Intercontinental Champion, and in 1998, I actually declared that I would one day be the Intercontinental Champion. 
And, uh, you know, I guess the whole secret thing or laws of attraction, I, I thought about it and I put it out there and it became a reality, you know? It became a reality very quick, for sure. So 28, you had your first match and then did... No, oh, 29. Sorry, 29. My apologies. 29, you had your first match and then... Did um did it just springboard right to OBW from there? No, no, I left. Uh, well, I knew there wasn't much going on in Ontario at the time. It, even if there was independent matches, there was no social media. There was no. Uh, I mean, the, the internet wasn't just kind of. It was a tool, really, at that point. It yeah. wasn't used as what it is now, right? Yeah. So I knew that no one would really see what I was doing, and some kind of wrestling, and you know, the tree falls in the woods and no one's there, type thing. So I wanted to go put myself in front of some some eyes, and I left to Japan. That was our only connection at the time. Uh, one of uh, Don Koloff's former students, uh, he, he went by uh, a lot of names, Jason X. He was wrestling for Zero One yes. and Hustle, and he had a connection at Battle Arts because he trained there before. Um, so I, I packed up and moved to Japan, you know, and... Uh, How was the transition period at that point, going from, like, being North American and and having all the, the I guess you would say it, the, we're very lucky here where a lot of things are at your fingertips. Yeah, then you go over there and it's just the cult. It's a culture shock. It's got to be a culture shock. Yeah, luckily though, I grew up being judo and I had been to Japan before representing Canada in uh, international competition. So I'd been to Japan and my my second father, you know, my sensei was was Japanese. So it was actually less of a culture shock, believe it or not than going to the south in the United States. And that, to me, was just mind-blowing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, my, my daughter was already nine, and I had to explain to her that I'm going on this mission, and I'm going to be back, and we're going to we're gonna be, be wrestlers and all this stuff. So um, I, I packed up and went out there and just like, literally paid my dues. I joined the gym. I, I didn't get any freebies. I had to work my way up in terms of, you know, sparring everybody and beating everybody on the ground because judo was, you know, uh, I, I transferred a lot of my judo to the submission wrestling and jiu-jitsu and all that stuff. And I was doing well and I got earned a lot of respect from everybody in the gym and I started having matches. And um, it's funny, I was doing this extra work. I was doing uh, commercials and stuff to help pay the bills and until because the matches were, you know, every couple months. And then there was a few festivals and they came a little closer, but, but then I overstayed my tourist visa by a few days and I was banned for like a year, whole year. And I had an apartment, I had a scooter, I had a life. And all of a sudden in one day, it's just like gone. And so I had to come home and, um, figure out what the hell I was going to do. And that's when OVW came in. So it was kind of like some divine intervention. Someone was guiding me because I ended up getting my, my success and my break and, and getting signed while at OVW. So something was guiding me. And when you when you went to OVW and you, and you started working with, I guess, some of these heavy bookers and stuff like that, not to get into any personal because everybody knows the history and the situations. But when the transition period happened from Cornette being stepped out and Paul Heyman coming in, and then you had the transition of that Russian character. Uh, did you was it was it different from working with Cornette in the mind frame that Heyman has because they both have I very never, different. I never minds. worked with Cornette ever. Um, so when I got there, I was in the beginners class uh, for uh, a month. Mm -hmm. Like I like I mean I started started from the bottom. Now we're here, and um, then I was uh, graduated to the intermediate class with Rip Rogers. So at that time. The intermediate class, they welcomed me. And Rip just gave me the nickname Boris. Okay. He just said, hey, Boris. And everyone was like, you know, kind of laughed. And why why Boris? And oh, he looks like Boris Zukov. And anyway, just called me Boris. So so I'm at home and, and someone, I didn't like the name at first. I'm like, Boris. And then someone's like, yeah, if, if coach calls you Boris, that's pretty much going to be your nickname. It doesn't have to be your wrestling name. But, but it's that, your that's your nickname in class. So then all of a sudden I had this epiphany. I'm like, if my coach was Don Koloff and I'm Boris, then let me talk to coach and maybe I'll be Boris Koloff because there hasn't been that combination. There was Boris Zukov and Don, Ivan Koloff and Don Koloff. So I was Boris Koloff. And, uh, and that's when, so the first time I'm in the class, the other class, the, the classmates say, um, because at the time it was, okay, so there was, OVW was a school mm -hmm. and there was beginner, intermediate and advanced classes. But, the developmental WWE contracted talent would also train in the advanced class. But it wasn't like not, it was like out of 27 guys, 
24 or 25 were contracted and there was like three of us that weren't. Okay. So I worked my way all the way up into the advanced class where I was now training with contracted developmental talent, but I didn't have a contract yet. Um, Paul Heyman though, he, so the coordinate thing happened on my first day. Oh. So I, I get there and they say, um, you can come and watch TV. So the, the, the developmental talent, uh, contracted talent, they put on a weekly TV show every Wednesday night. And that TV show was in ah, three different states. But more importantly, uh, the WWE uh, writers and producers would get copies and see who's evolving and developing, who's getting it, you know. And um, <clears throat> Paul Heyman, so anyway, I get there and then the coordinate thing happens because uh, we were sitting in uh, a section that the students sit in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess they're encouraged to... Uh, sell what's going on in the ring with, with uh, reactions and stuff. But I was there with my daughter and I just was in the audience as far as I was concerned. Uh, well, plus it was my first day. No one told me anything. And then, of course, the thing with the boogeyman happened where he debuted and he was supposed to exit out the emergency door behind us. Well, I didn't know that. No one told us that. And there was no way to guess that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So when he gestured towards us, I thought he was going to scare my daughter. You know, like, 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 do me a solid and really terrify my daughter. She was freaking out. The, the costume was pretty scary. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, how uh, old was she at this time? She was uh, uh, eleven. Yeah, that would definitely it freak me out if I was five. eleven. For sure. No, she was ten. She was ten. That would still freak me out, ten or eleven, regardless. Yeah, and so you can see on the video, like, I kind of smirk, like, "Oh shit, this is going to be good." And then uh, he he rattles the guardrail, and 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 I hear from behind. Cornette is saying, get out of the way, run from this man. So we all dive out of the way and everything. And um, and that was it. I thought it was done. I thought that, you know, he ended, he exited out the door and everything was fine. And then referee Goose Mahoney kind of called me back. And uh, I guess, you know, he was furious in the back that I had a smirk on my face. Um, thinking I was kind of laughing at the angle in the ring as opposed to the thought of him scaring my daughter. Yeah, the moment that you were sharing with your kid. Yeah, and uh, he, you know, he slapped me a bunch of times, and I was that was fine. I, I didn't really phase me like that. I was just worried about getting in trouble and getting kicked out of America, and, and, and there goes your wrestling career and your dream and everything. Right. And you know, it made high uh, headlines, and it was a big deal. And some guy, some indie guy from Ontario, got slapped, and, uh, and that was it. He was gone, and Paul came in, so I never really worked with them. Uh, I would have liked to have worked with him and learned something from him. People say he had a nice mind for the business. He doesn't have a mind for uh, just being... He doesn't have that personal connection, but there's definitely something for the business there. Yeah, yeah. He has enough... Just, just at the very least, just being around the business that long, there has to be something there. And he was a booker and stuff. I mean, as a, as a regular person, he's not a nice person, but um, I never got really to, to know that side. And uh, but Paul, but 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 lucky it all happened because Paul Heyman's and I love Paul Heyman. He's amazing. He I've never seen a guy like that to sit down in front of a wrestling class, go over the show, and just fire up the entire class and everyone that's going to be participating to come and bring out their best performance ever. To believe in what they're putting out there, to believe in the hype and and how to generate a buzz in the local town and how to get yourself over and get out there and put over the program. And I mean, the class went from uh, the, the, the Davis arena and OVW was half full to packed standing room only turning people away in, in a few months just by some of the advice, you know, and he encouraged guys to go. We created our own flyers. We were called the Russian shoot fighting Academy. And uh, we, we go put them up around town and if everyone is building their own brand, and then it has this synergetic effect where everyone's kind of getting over, but the over the brand, like the OVW, is getting over, and you can feel the buzz in the town. It was, a, you know, for, for some small towns that don't have uh, uh, major sports. This is significant for them, you know. This is a big sure. thing, and they're gonna, you're going to have it. Also, drives up tourism, right? Because you're going to have people that are going to hear this buzz and hear what's going on, and say, you know what? I'll take that 45 minute, that hour drive, yeah. and I want to go. Ch- I want to see what's happening. Yeah, it had a very, very uh, religious cult following type thing. Like the faithful would come every time. 
But so, but but Paul Heyman was watching one of my classes, Rip uh, Rip Rogers' class, which which was the intermediate class. So he saw something in me. I remember I remember the class because someone said, "Hey, Paul Heyman's up there watching our practice." And after in the parking lot, he came up to me and said, "I, I want to start you next week as this character. Uh, I was going to be instead of Boris Kulov, I was going to become Boris Alexiev, which was this Russian shoot fighting thing. And I guess he heard that I came from Japan and I did the battle art style, which is like that work shoot style, you know." And and Boris Kolov was kind of like a Russian Santino, you know, a little goofy, a little comedic. And he told me it was like clockwork. He goes, in three weeks of you coming out here and shit-kicking people, uh, they will completely forget that you were anything comical and they're going to just fear you and, and believe in you. And so we did it, man. We came out there and, and the music and the whole. And so I, I had a tag team partner at the time, Mr. Stronko. So Mr. Stronko became my corner man, and we came out and did this whole MMA, um, you know, when you walk a fighter to the octagon, and you kind of hype them up and give yeah, him a yeah. slap and give him his mouthpiece and yeah. all that stuff. And we did that, and, and the people believed it. The funny thing is, <clears throat> so I grew up uh, in Mississauga, and uh, most of my friends in high school, like the vast majority of people in my high school, their parents were born in other countries. So whether it be Malta, Poland, Greece, um, Portugal, Italy, and Croatia. So, you know, everyone, and that's really the kind of the basis of the character Santino is just playing off all the different accents and the different butcherings of the language from our, from my friend's parents. Yeah. So I get into the ring and I would speak a little Croatian that I learned over the years, just, you know, having friends that are Croatian. And I'd say it in the, in the Davis Arena and people thought I was speaking Russian. And they come up to me and they thank me for, you know, being away from, uh, being away from my family in Russia and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty funny. They all they, they all believed everything. And and uh, if I saw the kids in my neighborhood, you know, I'd be in character and I would I would never break character and stuff for them. It was pretty it was pretty funny. Because the day I got signed, I guess there was like a press release that explained who I was, and the kids came to my front door, and they're like. Uh, Congratulations, Anthony. Like, 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 like we know now. Yeah, that was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, and then and then of course, uh, you know, it was getting a lot of attention. And uh, you know, I was on. I think I won the television championship before OVW television championship before I was signed. You did actually. You did. I, I did my research today, and there's some old YouTube clips still available. Yeah. I actually, watched that match where you won the title. Oh no and, way! And it was it was a great match, man. It was. It was. You could see the spark. Then and then, knowing that just a few weeks after that, Santino, Italy happened. Santino happened. Everything kind of went down like yeah. That, it wasn't. Right? It wasn't too long after that. I, I can't remember when. Uh, it's less than half a year away from that, anyway. Yeah. And then yeah, and then and then uh, you know I became Santino shortly after, and, and then life changed. You know. So I got to ask the question. I mean, everybody know everybody knows the story because you sh- you shoot it on it so many times. When they signed you, they called you up and they said, "Listen, this is what we're going to do. Do you know any Italian?" And you, you, you knew a little bit, right? You didn't know. You weren't fluent. Well, I was signed. I got signed in, in August of mm-hmm. 06. Mm-hmm. And I, I got called up as Santino in, in April of 07. Mm-hmm. So I came home for the summer and I got signed. And I was coming home like to a hero's welcome. And I had to come home for visa, visa work and, and paperwork and stuff. So I was home for se- shit. August. September, October. October. Yeah. And I went back in November. Okay. And then I was just I was signed and I was getting paid and I was you know wrestling and and then uh, the holidays December and we went back in January and February. So the, the system in OBW was awesome. You know we trained uh, practice let's say Monday Tuesday we had our practice and then there was TV on Wednesday we watched tape on Thursday and then we did live events you know around the um, southern Indiana and uh, Ohio and, and Kentucky and even Tennessee. So we did. Uh, we would drive up to two, you know, two or three hours, do a show, and drive back every night. Set up the ring, and we did it. We did. That was our. That was our training. You know, that was our real life experience working in front of a live audience. And uh, I was driving to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and I got a call from. Actually, I saw him this weekend, Mike Bucci, who was a Nova in ECW. Yes, and he was in talent relations at the time. And he knew. That my background, you know, my real name was Anthony Corelli, and I had an Italian background. And Vince was like, "Is anybody in developmental Italian?" 
And uh, and no, uh, Mike Bucci was like, yeah, Boris is actually Italian. So he called me up and he goes, hey, Boris, you can hear this, you know, Mike Bucci here. Uh, can you speak Italian? And literally like a few weeks before, yeah. Dusty Rhodes came down and spoke to us. And there was, a, there was a thing that happened at OVW where he called this guy Fearless Jack Bull. And he called him and said, can you, can you ride a motorcycle? And Jack Bull was like, nope. And he thought it was somebody doing a, a rib, like doing a Dusty impression. So Dusty's like, okay, well, can you learn to ride a motorcycle? And he goes, nope. And then he realized there was a 203 area code, which is Stanford, Connecticut, which means that was Dusty Rhodes' work phone, and he shit his pants. And um, they had a laugh about it. And this guy actually never got another opportunity to go up to, uh, he was going to go be under Undertaker's, like, riding buddy or whatever, biker friend or whatever, because that's when American Badass was going on at that time, yes. Yeah. So uh, Dusty Rhodes came down, and he, uh, they had a laugh about it. And he said, if they ever call, and ask you if you can do anything, you say yes, whatever the hell it is, whatever it is, and you better learn to do it. So they said, can you speak Italian? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so he goes, okay, I'm going to call you back with some writers and, uh, you know, ask you to say some Italian. So he called back in a few minutes. And when I used to work downtown Toronto, this is like 2002-ish, um, I had my Hyundai Accent and I had a tape deck and I bought this one tape, Tourist Italian. And I used to just play it, like, you know, constantly. Just play and flip sides, play, flip sides. And I'd listen to it when I was in rush hour traffic. And I'd repeat it and play along. And, and it actually helped me get a pretty decent understanding. I mean, I couldn't speak fluent Italian, but uh, it definitely expanded my vocabulary. So when they say, can you speak Italian? And they go, okay, we're listening. Like you're on speakerphone here. We got some writers. Uh, say something in Italian. So I just, I just recited a couple lines from the tape, and I guess I said it with a, a an authentic enough of an accent, where um, they kind of, I just heard them looking around, going, I don't know, it sounds good, it sounds, I don't know. And then uh, they're like, okay, yeah, that's good. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> fly you out tomorrow, and uh, where your passport's gonna show up at noon. Get to the airport by two. You fly out at four, and you're going to Italy. And uh, you might debut as this Italian guy, you know, no guarantees, things can change, but, you know, that's what's kind of planned right now. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Imagine, you know, you're playing for a AAA baseball team and you get a call up from George Steinbrenner saying, we want you to start for the Yankees on Friday night. You know, you shit your pants, right? Of course. It's everything you wanted, everything you dreamt about, and it's here. But a lot of people, they, it's funny, uh, there's different levels of, belief you know self-belief and some people say they want to do it but they panic when the opportunity comes because they're so afraid of failing but i was i was i had such tunnel vision when i look now i wouldn't be so confident maybe it was naivety because i was young but yeah i just you know told myself that this is what you work for you were you're over prepared and i had to believe in my training and believe in you know rip rogers as my coach and just believe that I was, in fact, ready for this opportunity. And we went out there and we seized the moment. And I remember I went to basically like chapters. It was called Borders in the States. And I bought like eight DVDs of Italian and downloaded them. This guy, Man Beast, downloaded them to my iPod. And I just sat up on the plane the whole time drinking espresso after espresso, just trying to absorb as much Italian as I could in case I needed to speak Italian. I didn't really need to speak it that much on the first trip, especially it's an it's a, um, English content, right? I was English, so I could speak English with the accent. Um, and there was a little bit of media, but they knew, the media guys knew that I was a Canadian guy portraying an Italian character. So they were pretty forgiving, you know. And, and that was it, man. Boris died and Santino was born. And uh, who So the, my next question would be, who came up with Santino Morello? Was that you or was that the creative team? No, the, the, the name? Yes. No, that's not me. That's creative. Because Morella, I knew right away, it was a tribute to Gorilla Monsoon yes. and Joey Morella. So uh, that I actually kind of added to the pressure that I had to deliver because this is he's beloved. You know, everyone loves Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, the name Sonny was from a Godfather movie. Apparently, I found out later by one of the writers. But it was Vince's idea in terms of this taking place. So, uh, you know, it had little little support based on the fact that it was coming from Vince. It wasn't going to be one and done. He was going to do whatever he could to make it work because he didn't want his ideas to look good. Absolutely. And that was it, yeah. Um, 
you know, Santino was kind of force fed to people a little bit in the beginning and it didn't fly off the shelves like they thought it was going to. Um, people were kind of, no one likes to be force fed anything. So I think they were, they just kind of rejected it a little bit. And then Vince is like, okay, well, we'll turn him into a bad guy. And if that doesn't work, then whatever, we'll maybe see you later. You never know. And uh, as soon as I did a heel promo, Vince loved it. You know, he popped and uh, and I became a heel. Oh, excuse me. No problem. Jet lag. I came back yesterday from uh, Mania. Yeah. And I guess the way I delivered my heel promos, uh, Vince just found it completely amusing. And I, you know, you have to pop the right guy. And I popped Vince and he, he, was, he was a fan of the comedy. So uh, I had a job for 10 years. So in terms of like, because you hear, you do hear the tidbits, you hear the stories from all the other guys, all the legends like yourself who say that, you know, Vince was involved a little bit here and there, but then he, then he wasn't, then he was. And, you know, I approached with different ideas and different, you know, paths that I thought my character should take in terms of anything that once you did the heel turn and Vince popped, it sounds like he was very hands-on, at least for the early stages. Once you did the heel turn was creative more adaptive to you when you came with an idea like when you said hey listen maybe i should try this no i I never did that you never did so whatever creative came to you with it was like yeah okay let's do it there was no no reservations of anything no no you know what it was a i was five foot ten i was 33 years old i was already defying the odds i wasn't going to cause a a ruckus, uh, you know, a ripple in the water. I just saw, and I was happy and everything. And so Vince wasn't there so much in the beginning. Oh, I guess rehearsals sometimes. But uh, I was assigned Brian Gewertz, the writer. And he's very funny. And some of the stuff he'd write, I'd read it and be like, this is ridiculous, but I can do it. And uh, and then, you know, when he would write in the beginning, it was like, you know, I'm reading an essay that he wrote. And then later it was kind of point form. And then later they would just say, okay, we, we want you to say this, but you bring it to life any way you want. So, you know, as my career went on, so did the, the trust and the freedom to say whatever I think the character would say. But, you know, as long as the, the, the points got hit. You know? As long as the points got hit way they were supposed to, which move, would move the story forward, yeah, you were yeah. okay. So I got to ask because, I mean, you, 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 you held the Intercontinental title. You held one of the most prestigious titles, in my opinion. It's a little bit more prestigious than the World Heavyweight title. Because so many, that was the workhorse championship yeah. back in the day. So you, you debut it and you win the title. You're, you're rocking around with the Intercontinental title. How surreal was that moment? Yeah, it was, man, it was crazy. And it's funny, you know, uh, I had my daughter when I was in university. And my whole, my whole life was the 2000 Olympics. And I had to step away from it and... and support my family so I promised myself one day that when I win the intercontinental title I'll let the Olympics go you know and I'm in the ring and I remember I'm looking down at the title and I'm like you promised man you gotta let it go now this is an equal accomplishment you know in my eyes anyway Um, but yeah you know looking at your luggage coming home and everyone's like let me see it and you're pulling out the intercontinental title in your parents house it's just it's pretty weird yeah like I have replica belts at my house, and I look at them all the time, and I'm sitting there going, "Man, these are super cool." When you're holding the real deal, yeah, the one that's and that and that's the belt that you know how many how many hands that has passed through, and yeah. how many legends have rocked that title. It's it's got to be a moment, and even though the the rain, I mean, it was a decent it was a decent first rain, and then you know you were staggering without the title. Then you had a couple tag teams. You had the U.S. title. In terms of all the matches that you had, all the the events that Santino Morello went through. Was there, uh, is there one, one of your, like, what's your all-time favorite Santino match? Oh, man. Um, I had a lot of fun matches. Um, I mean, some of them were more significant. You know, when we were the core versus uh, me, Kofi, the big show, and Kane. You know, that was cool as a four-on-four. Then I was captain of Team uh, Teddy at WrestleMania. So in terms of mania, those are cool. <clears throat> I had one cage match with Jack Swagger. That was really cool. Of course, the Elimination Chamber in the Royal Rumble. Those, those get brought up a lot as as moments where fans come up to me and they tell me, like, man, we were jumping. We believed it. We thought it was happening. We thought you were in main event WrestleMania. And uh, especially this weekend, I did my first WrestleCon. So I have a lot of guys come up and, you know, like my age, 30s to 50s, you know. And... Um, they're all just kind of give me the the where they were at that moment and, and how they 
absorbed and digested the whole uh, Santino's going to go to WrestleMania or Santino's going to be the heavyweight champion. And I imagine it would have been something like a Kofi moment, you know, just in terms of that. Well, Kofi's probably going to keep it a little bit. If Santino won it, it would have been, a, I think, a one-night thing and it could have lost it the next week. But just to have that moment, you know. And, and, and now seeing, like, I mean, you know, your career is done, but you, this is this is going on. This is going strong. So once, I guess let's let's turn to that page. So once, like, the injury happened and, and you realize that, listen, this is, uh, my time here is, is finished, you came back. Was this the uh, first idea or first goal that you had in mind where okay, I'm going to open up my own, I'm going to open my own gym. I'm going to open up, I'm going to start passing on my knowledge, that all the knowledge that I gained. Or yeah. was this, was, was this maybe, did you circle a few ideas before you landed on Battle Arts Academy? No, I opened Battle Arts while I was still with the company. So I, I was uh, still with the WWE for... Three years? I think so, yeah. Two and a half, three years. And I I knew my neck was going to one day say that's enough. So I wanted to have something up and running that would be self-sufficient, make some money while while I can go do the things I like, you know, whether it be acting or pursuing a TV show and that kind of stuff. Jiggle All the Way too is also one of my guilty pleasures, man. I do watch that. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah, Larry, Larry the Cable Guy is awesome. My character, I mean, you know... It's funny because when you go there, the Hollywood actors, they're so concerned that you're going to be cutting a promo like The Ultimate Warrior or Hulk Hogan that they try and really suppress, like just tone it down, tone it down, tone it down. And then when I when I got there, I was like so toned down that, you know, after a few days, I'm like, they want personality. So if you watch the movie, I, I can tell because it, was, it wasn't filmed in chronological order. So there's a couple scenes where I'm like really like just kind of suppressed and down and quiet. And then some of the other scenes, I could, I've been there a few weeks and I'm, I'm myself again. And that was the word that even came back to the office. You know, when I saw Vince after the movie, he goes, I heard you did a really good job. He goes, I heard the first day or two you were a little kind of nervous, but then you really came out of your shell and they, they really liked you and stuff. And, and that was great. I, I the thing is, I had all these things I wanted to do. I wanted to work with Fight Network, and I wanted to work with Sportsnet, and I wanted to coach. And I'm like, man, I gotta. I didn't want to give any of those up. I figured how to do one, you'd have to give up some of the other. And somehow, I managed to be able to, you know, I work with uh, that show behind the lights when it's which is, it's on Twitch, but it's through uh, Impact, and Impact is you know owned by Anthem Rollins Fight Network, and we do it in the Fight Network studio. So I'm kind of so, so that kind of became a reality, and also the Sportsnet gig is is awesome. I love it. It's every Tuesday. It's a half hour. It's fun. I get to go into the city and do the show, and come out of the city and and, and come back and do my the coach here and stuff. Two Tuesdays and Wednesdays are long days, you know, because uh, you I'm double shifting both. Really, I'm downtown during the day, and I come and coach here all night. So they're very long days. And then, of course, with being, you know, again, a new dad, congratulations. Oh, on thank you. Yeah. She, absolutely gorgeous, by yeah, the way. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's so, I mean, there's there's quite an age gap between your your, your oldest yeah. and your, your son. Well, so, my daughter's going to be 24 in June, and my son's only like five months. So there's a big, huge gap, which is interesting because when I was wrestling, mm-hmm. my daughter was in elementary school and high school, and it was pretty cool. I, that girl's father was in the WWE and stuff. Um, so no boys went anywhere near her because they knew you could snap them like a twig, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I picked up at school a few times and uh, you know rev the engine a little bit, <laughs> squeeze the wheel and snarl at some kids. But uh, but now Marco, my son, is going to be the guy whose sister's in the WWE. That's right, and they're going to be yeah, it's Bianca's uh, brother, you know, whatever. So uh, it'll be interesting, kind of the same but different. When when Bianca came to you. And she said to you, I'm sure she had the conversation. She came to you and said, Dad, you know what? I really, I really want to pursue this. I really want to go for this. What was, was, was there one really big piece of advice that you, you kind of gave to her right off the hop? Yeah, well, she didn't, it didn't really even happen like that. She kind of finished university and she was kind of like, well, how am I going to do now? Um, and I'm like, you know, she, she had the same epiphany I had when I graduated university. I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. Um, the education model is outdated and, you know, you're going and you're taking all these electives like mass communications and history and geography and uh, English and all this shit that you have to accumulate X amount of credits. And then now you go get a job. I'm like, why didn't I just get a job four years ago? Because I'm not using any of this shit. 
Um, could have spent sixty grand, or could have made sixty grand. Yeah, like, yeah. What's, what's I, I remember. Points, right? I remember uh, a friend of mine. He became a, an electrician right out of high school. By the time I finished, I stretched out my university to like six years because I went to teachers' college too. So after six years of school, this guy's has a house, has a cottage, he's making six figures, and I'm starting because I was an athlete. You know, I'm starting with debts and you know a patch on my back that says Canada, but that, that was about it, you know. Um, made me really doubt. I mean, you have to play the game, so you have to have something to fall back on, but, like, is there even anything to fall back on? I don't know. Um, experiences. Uh, they yeah. say you get that, you say you get that life, like, high school is the best time of your life, but college is where you apparently gain that life experience. But sometimes I don't think that works that way. Like myself, I went to film school. Right out of high school. Got a half scholarship from Toronto Film School. Thought I was going to be the next Quentin Tarantino. Made a couple music videos. Got married to my love of my life. And then nine months into our marriage, she tells me she's pregnant. One music video a month is not going to pay the bills. So much like yourself, as opposed to instead of you, you know, you really reach for the stars. Me, I settled and I started, you know, working on warehouses, docks, worked my way up. But then found my time, my passions to do other things. But I mean, you're right. I, I, I don't think, I think the education model is very outdated. So, you know, once she kind of reached that epiphany point and said, oh, what am I going to do yeah, now? Yeah, so she, yeah. Then I said, look, you know, because she is a coordinated and she's a good athlete and she was uh, Miss Teen Ontario and she's a very good uh, public speaker. And I'm like, you know, you have a foot in the door if you want to do this. And, you know, it is. The juice is worth the squeeze. It's very fun and you get to travel the world and make money and build your own brand. I said, look, I was able to build a brand uh, to the point where I, I can branch off and um, run my own shit. I'm still marking out right now, man. I'm having a conversation with Santino Morello. This, yeah. is, the, this is the highlight of my I mean, last couple of weeks, seriously. But that, uh, but that brand is you're able to parlay that into you know all these things I wanted to do. And I'm involved with the International Judo Federation to a, a certain uh, extent. Um you know, have, I mean, the the I'm, I'm able to get students because of where I've been, and and um, even some of the kids that join judo, they want they want to do it because they want to train with Santino and stuff. So it, it's if you use it right, it's very good, and it's important to have a life before wrestling and a life after wrestling, and not that because WWE can completely consume you. And put it this way, the everything I'm doing now, let's say you know I run this facility i coach two different sports i have two different tv shows and and i have time to do stuff on the weekends we go kayaking and biking and hunting and camping all this awesome stuff all that all that stuff i'm doing would have been just wrestling wwe yeah it would have been literally seven days a week yeah it's 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 uh it's five days a week of of wrestling and then the travel uh, your home um there was a time when i was home for a day and a half a week and i was splitting that between toronto and tampa so um I'd be home three, four days a month, each house. And that was really hard because then all of a sudden you have to condense all your stuff, pay all your bills, do all your taxes and go get a workout, go get tanning, clean your clothes, outdoor again, here you go. And it was nonstop. But, it, but you know, you become good at it. You become good at living out of a suitcase. And, and that's, you know, it's an honor and a privilege to be there. So you shut up and you just keep doing it. When, when you're a father and you, you've, You've got you've got that family and that child to look out for. Was it hard sometimes on all the the times you might have missed out on with your eldest daughter? Oh yeah, it's horrible. I was losing my freaking mind, and uh, it's the most torturous thing. And to me, a lot of the guys on the road, one of the things that makes you so close to everybody is that you all share that torture of being away from your kids. You know, it's the hardest part. It's the hard- I remember I was at OVW and I'm losing my mind because I had to, you know, I was a Canadian. I, I had a problem once. Uh, I was trying to get a, a student visa, and it was like the wrong paperwork, and they didn't let me in one time. And I'm like, I live there. Like I live in Louisville. I have an apartment. I have a cell phone. I I, I wasn't working there because you're not allowed to work there, but I was living there. And uh, so I was afraid to kind of come back and 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 draw this attention to myself. And people, I, I didn't I didn't know if the border can kind of 
track your the time there. Like if they're gonna say, "Hey man, you were just here for five months. What are you doing here?" You know? Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know if they, you know, I don't know where the technology was at. Is the Ontario government calculating when you leave and giving the information to them in terms of when you come and they and they count? You know, I don't, I don't know this stuff. So I tried to limit my border crossing, and and that was hard. So at one point I didn't come home for five months. And when you have an 11 year old, it's it's disastrous. You know, we talk on the phone, of course. So there was no FaceTime back then, no, no Skype, FaceTime. none of that. And Japan was even worse because we had to meet. Let's say, I had to say, okay, Friday night, seven o'clock, sit in front of the computer, and then I'd, ha I'd have to go. Let's say it was eight o'clock in the morning to an internet cafe and log on and try and talk and cry and you know just see your family. It was really hard. And one time at OVW, I went into Danny Davis's office and I was losing my shit. And I'm like, Danny, I, I need help, man. You got to tell me something that's going to make this better. You know, I'm fucking losing my mind. And he's like, because I never forgive myself to this day for the time away from my kids. And I'm like, God damn it, Danny, that's not what I needed to hear. <laughs> and uh, I mean, my, my, my brother had a heart surgery and I couldn't come home for it. My grandmother was in the hospital. And, you know, like one time we thought we were going to lose her because of pneumonia. And I'm like... My contract's almost here. They're telling me it's almost here. They're telling me hold tight and, and it, it, stress. I mean, literally, like, looking in the mirror and having some serious conversations with yourself. And you just got to hold on. And now, of course, I spent every last penny and and uh, cashed in RSPs to stay there another month because they, it was coming. And, and I ran into every last penny the day before I got hired. Before you get the contract, wow. yeah, I got the phone call and it was like, whew, it was crazy, you know. Yeah. So is that something you kind of like warned her about? Like you said, listen, you know, it's fun. You get to travel the world, but the grind is the grind. Like, would you say being a if you're gonna if you're gonna really go shoot for the stars and you're gonna shoot for the WWE or even Ring of Honor or Impact, any of these big promotions, is it better to be single with no real ties other than just your immediate family, or is it worth it to try to? I mean, have a family and still try to balance both. It depends. I mean, if you're going to wrestle for 20 years, let's say from 25 to 45, then you get, you know, you got a family in there somewhere. Um, and sometimes if you meet someone while you're a wrestler, they'll understand because that, that's all they know. You've been on the road uh, and you got to find a strong woman, man. You know, a woman that's going to hold down the fort. You make the money, send it home. She takes the kids to school and that kind of shit. And then when you come home, on a Wednesday, Thursday night, you're super dad and you buy them stuff and you go to dinner and it's all fun and games because daddy's home. And it's it, it's hard on the family too. It's hard on the kids. It's hard on the wife. Like Ric Flair, you know, and, and a lot of the guys, you'll hear it in every Hall of Fame speech. I did not win any Father of the Year awards, man. I wasn't. And then the worst, okay, so you're doing it for, for their future. You're doing it for money so they can afford them nice things in life and live in a nice neighborhood and go to a nice school, etc. But then you're like, what life? I'm missing the goddamn life, you know? And we're here we are putting money ahead of time. Like, like, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, it still doesn't, but you got to do what you got to do. And to top it off, you want to, you already feel guilty and you're having one of the greatest freaking times you can imagine while you're away from your family and making everybody suffer and feel like you abandoned them. It's not easy, man. It's not easy. And there's guys that can't do that and they can't hack it and they, they they quit because of that just that part not because the body slams every night and because your knee hurts and whatever it's because of the 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 exhausting mental beating that you take is it hard to keep your mental state up when you're on the road when you you literally just did a 2 hour show you got to pack up you got to drive 4 hours down the road i mean they make it look cool now on WWE network with road trips no the road trips are okay i enjoy that actually sometimes i want to just go for drives here. The drives are your are your downtime. You finish the show, you have that high from the from the performance, and you you got your riding crew that you ride with, and you you got four hours and listen to a podcast, talk about your match, talk about tomorrow, whatever, talk about whatever. So you become really close with everybody. Who was your riding crew? Uh, for my first three years, it was Randy Orton and I, and then my middle few years was uh, Kozlov, and then my last few years was uh, Brodus Clay and uh, Damian Sandow. Oh, those conversations must have been amazing. Yeah, they're funny as fun times. But but you know, and sitting in Denny's and just shooting the shit with the boys, that's like some of my fondest memories. You know, that's why this weekend I went to uh, the Comic Con, uh, WrestleCon, and it was really just to see some of the boys. You know, and then 
just shoot the shit and see what everyone's up to. And then, you know, and these days you kind of keep in touch with social media and you like each other's posts, but you get to see what they're up to and stuff. So it's, it's, it's that aspect is pretty cool. For sure. So what's, um, when, when, you know, Bianca, you said you had the foot in the door, she had the idea. Did you, are you training her or are, is somebody well, else first, working with first her? She was, she was still in London, uh, where she went to Western. Okay. So she was training with Tyson Dukes. Uh, he's, he's a good trainer. He's a good wrestler. I, I like his wrestling. So he trained her for a little bit and then it was time to come home and, and train with me. Um, I'm just, I was blessed to have like the best coaches you could ever have. And 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 the blend and mix of coaches I had like Yuki Yuki Ishikawa from Japan, Don Koloff, Al Snow, Rip Rogers, and then you get there and you're listening to Arn Anderson talk about a match every day, and Fit Finley and Mike Rotundo and Vince himself and Michael Hayes and Triple. I mean, like you're around the you're on the most brilliant minds in the business, and I listened and I absorbed everything and I, I came a really good understanding of of wrestling and telling a story. And the commitment required, you know, so you have to tell these students, like, it's worth it, but let me explain to you what you have to do. You got to train twice a day, every fucking day, and you have to commit to be a full-time bodybuilder, a full-time MMA fighter, and a full-time wrestler, and, and that's a lot of full-times in there. So if you have to train, let's say you're training uh, six days a week, twice a day, that's 12 trainings. So you have to have at least four bodybuildings, at least four MMA. And what I mean by MMA is, you know, a jiu-jitsu class and a, and a couple of Muay Thai classes and something else, a judo or a jiu-jitsu, or maybe just a, a grappling and a striking. Because what that's going to do is gonna, it's going to make your, your professional wrestling look that much more authentic and believable. And you're going to be able to make people suspend their disbelief. That's how I moved up the ranks relatively fast. And it's all because of judo. So are, are you, do you share the mentality that because we all know being wrestling fans or, or being someone like myself who's very deep in the business, thanks to the podcast, all the research I've done, we know that Vince loves his UFC fighters. Is that, does that ring true that a UFC fighter really does transition to the WWE easier than everybody else? It, no, 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 not just UFC fighters, high level athletes. So the skill set that you need to be an MMA fighter makes you an athlete. You can do anything because you have to be, okay, I, I remember there was a, Actually, there was an Egyptian uh, Olympic wrestler who was a Greco-Roman world champion. And he said, he goes, to be a wrestler, you can do any sport. The athleticism, strength, and, and flexibility and the uh, coordination required, you can do any sport. And it's true, you know, when I'd be at judo training camps and when we would play volleyball as a group, it was good volleyball or basketball or soccer, whatever. We can do any sport. We're good athletes. Um, and, and UFC fighters are... are I think just it brings a little level of authenticity back that he wants. Uh, but you don't have to. I, I just think, uh, you know, it worked for me. But the genre of pro wrestling that I fell in love with was the battle art style where it's like that work shoot MMA style. And I just believed because at the time, people didn't know what a fight looked like, you know. Um, but now the audience knows what a legitimate grappling contest slash fight looks like thanks to the UFC. So we have to up our game or we're going to give them something you know, completely different. We can't give them a fight that we're trying to say is a real fight when it looks like shit. You know, it's not, we're not doing anybody any, any good. So, um, and the MMA guys, at least they bring uh, just different moves, different offense, mm -hmm. and they can make it look, you know, and at least different, if anything else, because what happens now in wrestling is you get a lot of guys just doing the same shit, slapping their leg, giving head kicks and super kicks and chops. And like there's the 20, the 80 20 rule where 80% of all matches are com comprised of 20% of the moves. But everyone's a fan of everybody else and they just keep regurgitating and recycling all the same shit. So it's not very unique anymore. Uh, I give the analogy imagine we all. We're all music students, okay? okay? So the teacher's going, all right, here you go. Here's, here's uh, some classic music from the Beatles. Learn to play it. Learn to play it really well. And, uh, and that's your homework, right? But when it comes time for you to get on stage and sing your own original shit, you can't sing the Beatles. That's, the Beatles are already the Beatles. You're, you're now a cover band. And 
record labels aren't looking for cover bands. They want superstars. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with wrestling, you know. Everyone's a cover band right now. Everyone's wrestling like, I don't know, somebody else, you know. Yeah, everybody's wrestling like that guy over here because they like what this guy over here is doing. But they're not maybe taking some inspiration from this guy and trying to make it their own. Yeah, and, and what happens is because because fans can become wrestlers, there's a lot of guys that they just one day want to be able to do a move that so-and-so did because they've wanted to do it their whole lives. So they end up getting there and trying to force these moves into story into stories that don't fit because they just want to do it because they've always seen it and it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so the quality of wrestling has been diluted significantly when we started letting fans in the business, you know, as opposed... Because there's some... And this is the thing, too. So let's say you have these new high-level athletes or even MMA guys that maybe weren't even the biggest wrestling fans. Well, they're going to be coming to the business with a fresh perspective, a fresh lens. And they're going to... They don't have all those moves in that they've always dreamt of doing because they don't know them all. So I think that is another benefit of having guys cross-train and come over. Uh, plus, it's just... There's a lot of fans, you know? I mean, it's fun. There's legitimate MMA fans like... Daniel Cormier and Kim yep. Velasquez, those two guys, they're buddies that love wrestling. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting time that we're in now because you think back to like the Attitude Era, wrestling was hot. Like literally, you just go to school with your buddies, see who's got the coolest shirt at that point. Yeah. Wrestling now is very much similar to what was in that time period because now wrestling is cool again. You've got, you know, you've got NXT and everything great that Triple H is doing there and you can see what the future holds for WWE. It's very bright. But then you can't forget about Ring of Honor. You can't forget about New Japan. And you also can't forget about AEW. We know the big signings that we have, but can they show and prove? We're going to find that out in May. But it's a cool time to be a wrestling fan with all the options that there are. Plus, the indie scene is huge. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool time to be a wrestler, too. I mean, these guys, you have indie guys making six figures, traveling around, bringing a suitcase of T-shirts everywhere they go. And they're, they're uh, yeah, they're making tons of money. These guys are making... So let's say you make thousand bucks, you, you go get paid your your five hundred to do it. If you're a guy who's on a TV show somewhere, let's say you're a Ring of Honor guy and you have a good following, you can bring five hundred, uh, you get five hundred bucks for a payday. Let's maybe it's more, sometimes it's less, depending on your character. But you also, let's say you're selling shirts for twenty five dollars, you sell twenty shirts, that's five hundred bucks. I mean, there's a cost involved as well. But when you're making a thousand bucks three times a week. It's good money. Three thousand, fantastic. Three thousand dollars a week is one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and you have these guys that are doing this, and they're calling all the shots. They uh, have the creative freedom to go and work wherever they want. Sometimes they get they get they work for a company as well, and they, uh, they but because they're on TV, their indie booking fees are are jacked up, and they can go make a lot of money. So WWE sometimes can't even get these guys because to go to NXT with take a developmental contract for fifty five thousand dollars. And these guys are like, uh, I'm making $150,000. Why would I do this? You know? Yeah, For exactly. the potential to make more? I'm making more right now. Yeah, I'm making more than what I need to make right than what you're offering me. So why would I go? Yeah. I mean, there's the potential. You have to do the numbers. Like, uh, like for, for example, for Bobby Roode, I don't think it ever paid off. I know Bobby Roode was making very good money at Impact. And, and maybe now he's at least making what he was at Impact. Yeah, but now he's just a mid-card player, right? He's, yeah, he's... But mid, I mean, mid-card guys, if you play the card, you can still make a half a million bucks if you, if you do it right. Sure. But, I mean, if he was, let's say he was making two fifty at Impact, and I'm, I'm guessing, let's say he's making four hundred now. That $150,000, I mean, it's, the prestige of working for WWE is one thing, but... That dip he took in NXT is that is is that going to pay off? I don't know. He's going to stay there. He's in his forties too, uh, or he's forty or whatever he is. Yeah, forty one, I believe he is. Yeah. So I mean, it's just interesting because there's a lot of guys that are making money elsewhere, and to come over and take that dip, you know. So let's say you know he went down to fifty grand, and I don't know now he's losing two hundred thousand dollars a year. So for every year he's not, he's losing two hundred thousand, he has to make. More than two hundred thousand, more than what he was making to kind of make up for it. And when you're in the NXT side of things, you can't work elsewhere. You have to stay there, right? Yeah, there was there were some contracts with the two hundred five guys and the, and the UK guys where you could work somewhere else. Yes, um, but now um, I, I believe they're they're stopping that because guys are getting jobs elsewhere. 
And then, of course, yeah, AEW throwing some contracts out there and uh, Ring of Honor now offering um, exclusive contracts. And, of course, Lucha Underground, Impact. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot to work on. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a plethora. I think you really have your options depending on your style, your freedom, your schedule, where you want to go. Yeah, I mean, how well you work with others and how marketable you are. And, and of course, you have to be a good wrestler at the end of the day. And, um, but but it, it's, it's funny because before... To be a local TV, you have to have a, a, a big money backer. Mm-hmm. And uh, now with the cost effectiveness of, of di- the digital platforms we have today, you can get a couple of cell phones and a switch and you can live stream on Facebook and all that stuff. So you don't need that. So what's happening is you're having, you're having the natural and organic reemergence of territories, which are just indie companies. But indie companies are growing to the point of they're kind of like a little territory so it's pretty cool man uh it's an interesting time and it's happening right now like right yeah, now we're, we're, we're living through it do you um do you miss it at all sometimes i mean maybe not the road schedule but do you miss the the bright lights the prestige the big pay-per-views um not really not really it, it, it was uh i was pretty happy when it kind of got um so because i was off of my injury it's like it's like injury time in soccer however long you're off for they tack it onto your contract and, um, you know, after a couple of years of trying to rehab my neck, I'm like, it's, it's not getting good enough to kind of be able to wrestle. So we were trying to think of some non-physical roles. I could do like a GM or something like that. And uh, then they just called and said, yeah, we're not going to exercise our right to extend the contract and basically, you know, let me expire next month and that's it. And I'm like, damn, I'm me again. Like I'm Anthony again. Like, wow. I felt like I just got out of jail. And, and I didn't have a bad experience at all. I'm just talking about that continuing your life feeling. I'm like, when you come out, you're like, okay, let's continue. You know? Yeah, that life, now I can kind of pick up where I left yeah, off. Yeah, me again, I can man. be, I can I like be a dad. Be. I can be, I can be a brother. I can be a son. Yeah. I can, I can, I can be, I can be a, I can be a husband. I can be, a, I can be all these things all that these I missed things. out on. Yeah. And 10 years is a, is a long time. Yeah, you know, when I was 40 years old at the time, and I'm like, that's a quarter of my life I gave to that company. Yep. And uh, it was awesome. I traveled the world and made some amazing memories. But uh, there's more, right? And, and, and you need an, an entrance strategy and an exit strategy. And I tell people a really good analogy is that it's a high-speed uh, merry-go-round that does not stop. So you got to fucking time that get on and you got to time that get off so you don't go flying. And you got to have that security, like you said. Yeah. Because you, you look at those guys like back in the day, you mentioned some of your heroes, your idols, Hogan, Warrior. They weren't smart with their money back in the day, so they had to keep going. Still making appearances now. I mean, Hogan was at WrestleMania the other day. You know what I mean? Yeah. For those guys, it's a bit different. I think they just, you know, and I get that too because I like to... You know, I'll do something once every two months. And it's just to get out of the house. And I'll look at the card and I'll say, hey, would you like to come to whatever, Texas? And I'm like, ah, not really. And, it goes, and they'll say like, uh, like, William Regal's on the show. And I go, oh, I'll come and see Regal. Yeah, you know, I'll come and see Regal, yeah, sure. And, uh, or, or Chavo or somebody that I like to see, you know. that. So I can, uh, I'm in a good spot where I can pick and choose. Uh, Which events you want to make it appear. Yeah, based at. on the city. And, and, and I like... If someone calls me and goes, hey, we're doing a show in Banff, I'm like, yeah, I'll go to Banff, no problem. But if it's, like, you know, Pennsylvania, I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm actually not taking any bookings anymore for the summer. You're going to um, enjoy the time. I, I have I have a couple already, and then I have uh, I have tournaments. I got to, you know, take kids to tournaments. We have our own shows. So my summer is, like, full already. And uh, I definitely, if I have a few weekends off, I don't want to give them away. Two more questions, and we're going to wrap it up. If – you could step in the ring tomorrow. Is there anybody that you didn't get a chance to work with that you would love to work with or anybody right now that's an up and comer? doesn't have to even be with WWE. It could be anybody that if you have the ability to get in the ring with and work with, who would those two individuals be? Somebody yeah. you never had the chance to work with or somebody you, you would really like to work with if you could? Um, if I could wrestle the way I like to wrestle, like a work shoot style, I would like to wrestle maybe low key and uh, kill a cross. They're both pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, those are two guys. I never wrestled either of them. 
and you those are the two guys you would like to. Is there anybody in the WWE when you were there that you that you never had the chance to work with that you would have liked to? If you could well, have Randy been? and I were good buddies and we only we only did a couple battle royals together. We didn't really have a match and, and every time we'd be in a battle royal together we'd find each other right away and start, you know, kinda of not laughing, but we'd have a good time and try and rip each other in there. And I guess my, my final question is if if there's any, you know, we got a lot of got a lot of followers from the US, Canada, we've also got UK followers and stuff like that. I'm sure a lot of them are young because what we do on Straight Talk, we do it a little different. As much as we love talking about wrestling, we also love about educating. We love sharing the the secret of what's happening here right now with our Ontario indie scene. But we also like educating. If there's a young, you know, wrestling fan or wrestling student out there that really wants to break into the business, is there one piece of advice that you would like to give them? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you hear The Rock say, be the hardest working guy in the room and that kind of stuff. He's, he's not joking. And you have to walk to a, uh, walk into a school, and you have to find a, a, a reputable school, and you have to cross trains. Because what happens is you, you're asking to become a professional athlete without being an amateur athlete. You can't skip that shit. I, I didn't play college basketball. I can't just call the Celtics and say, hey, can you train me, right? They're not going to do it. Um, so they have to know that. And they have to know the level of commitment. If you, but there's also different expectations. If I'm a guy that says, you know what, I'm married, I'm, I'm a teacher, I love wrestling, I want to get out of the house two nights a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and I want to wrestle once a month, twice a month, just because I want to be around the business, I love it. That person is completely welcome to take part, but, the, but we have that understanding. But if you're a young guy that says, I want to do this for a living at, at the highest level possible, then we got to be serious about the, the amount of effort it's going to take. You can't have exceptional results with mediocre efforts. It's never going to happen. You have to bust your ass like crazy. Man. You're going to get up like, uh, like muscles over here. <laughs> uh, you got to get up. You got to train every morning. Weights, cardio. You got to get yourself. You got to look like a freaking superstar. And it's, and it's not like you have to figure out how to do it. It's, the answer's out there. You, Especially even today with the diets, you know, you get that keto diet, the intermittent fasting, the empty stomach cardio, and lift your weights six days a week, and it, and your body will transform. There's no ifs ands or buts, and uh, empty stomach cardio works perfectly. So there's no if you're not doing it, it's because it's you're not doing it. And then uh, yeah, you know, you have to learn how to pick a character and develop a character and 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 market this character and of course there's a little bit of uh you need an opportunity to to show your stuff and those opportunities are going to come by people in your class that see you work and they're impressed by how you work and they're going to try and put in maybe they work some indies and they're going to put in a word for you and say look there's a guy in my school he, he hasn't wrestled before you can throw him 20 bucks he'll be happy to do it for the experience and and, and i think you have something to offer and then you go out there and blow them away, you know. You got to fabricate these these opportunities to, but but a lot of the opportunities comes with how well you work with others. Right. So if you want to be a professional wrestler, but you've probably been kicked out of every fucking school you've been in, you have a criminal record, and you're an asshole, and you get in fights, but you still love wrestling, it's probably not for you. And if you if you want to be the guy, goes look at Kevin Owens, he's out of shape, and and you know, so I don't have to work out. Well. Maybe, but the odds are not in your favor. You definitely want to put yourself in the situation where you're going to have every advantage you can have. And Vince loves bodies. And also, you try to be a superstar. How can you be a superstar with an average guy? <laughs> average star? <laughs> the average star. That's a good name, actually. Um, so you have to be. You have to be that. You know, and you have to be able to assess yourself. And, and this is the hard part. And say, what do I need? Working like if I suck at promos, some people they watch a promo and they're so fascinated and they're so uh, tickled by the fact that they're watching themselves do a promo that they just think it's good. And uh, you have to be able to really say shit that that that, that sucked. You know, I gotta do better than that. And then how do you get better? You gotta get creative. You gotta go maybe find an improv class, Second City class. Uh, you know, I always hear that The Rock used to study evangelists and that kind of stuff to have that insight. Maybe you watch yourself back and you go, "Shit, my right hand punch is pretty bad." You know, I gotta work on that. And then you go find guys, videos, and now with today's like YouTube. Oh my God, we had to trade bags and VHS tapes and stuff. Um, master your right hand and you have to be able to assess yourself find your weaknesses and make them 
your your assets and your strengths, you know. And often that's going to come with a coach. And uh, there's etiquette that you have to have, and you have to have everything, man. That's it's it's hard, but you can make everything, you know. What I mean, like if if you're if you're out of shape, you can get in shape. If you suck at promos, you can you can become good at promos. If you don't work well with others, well, you can focus on that too. I mean, you can work on everything, you know. And uh, but you have to work on everything. Your costume, the way you walk to the ring, your music has to be right. Your finishing move has to be right. There's all these different rules and criteria that you have. For example, your finishing move should be something that you can do safely on any size person. And people have to know that, you know. And the guy wants to come up with some moves that, okay, you're wrestling the Kali today. Can you do your move? No, I could. <laughs> I had to poke him. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and also what happens is you get guys that go in there and they learn the moves, like hip tosses and arm drags and elbows off the top rope, and they think they know how to wrestle. And that's really literally nothing. It's, it's why you're doing this move at this time. And where it fits in with the story, um, you know, does it make sense to do it at that time? Is it safe? Is it? There's there's so many, there's so much. So it takes years of listening to your coach talk, going to seminars, realizing shit. This guy's probably saying the same thing as my coach, and and there's always going to be some interesting little spins on it. And, and you have to seek out awesome coaching, and then and go do things like seminars. Because there's so much unwritten information that, like, I could tell you one thing, but you're not automatically going to make the changes and implement the the, the, the knowledge into your wrestling. You got to make mistakes. You got to make mistakes, and you got to watch yourself make the mistake and go, "Shit, that bothered me. I didn't like that." And then you're going to make changes. But it's like you almost have to make every mistake in the book before you can start making these improvements. So that takes time. So it's not a quick thing. It's not a six-month course that you can go wrestle and be a worker. It takes a lot of time. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So, you know, there's kids out there that are 17 years old and they're wrestling. And if I had a crystal ball and I said, okay, you are going to have an opportunity. It's going to come at the age of 30. And you have to be ready between uh, from now and, and then and every single day in between to make that opportunity come. Do you have what it takes to hold on 13 years for that opportunity? And ask yourself that too, because it's 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 gut check time, man. Often. Wow. No, word true words from a man who's lived it. Again, thank you so much for taking the time out today. I appreciate it. Again, it was a blast, and you're welcome to come back on the show anytime you want. Oh, thank if you. Got you. some free time? You can just call me up and say, George, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Absolutely. You got it, man. No All right, problem. guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, tune in next week for another great episode. Peace. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch us every Wednesday at 7.30 on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. Wrestling!